Thank you, thank you for your patience and your love for this election month. Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. What are you doing, Tommy? Hey, Jimmy, I'm celebrating the election month. Month? You mean day, don't you? The election just took place on Tuesday. I didn't see your name on the ballot there. I'm not talking about my political stuff. Jeez, Jimmy, that stuff makes me gag. I'm talking about the important election. You know, like manager of the year, rookie of the year, MVP, Cy Young, all that good stuff. Oh, that's different. Welcome to Baseball Biz. Election day has come and gone, and the votes have been tallied. And nobody can drink out an election like the Baseball Writers Association of America. Well, you know, almost nobody. I'm your host, Mark Corbett, and with me is none other than the co-host and campaign analyst, Mr. Brandon Noway. How you doing, Brandon? I'm, honestly, Mark, I'm feeling a bit relieved because, you know, the, I don't have to worry about the baseball writers calling me up on my phone every hour of the day or running all these annoying ads <laughs> on my TV every commercial break. It, it's nice. It's, it's finally over. To, and today, what we're going to be doing, we're going to... For those of you all who don't know exactly what I'm, we're talking about here, we're talking to Baseball Writers Association of America. And these are the folks who each year for the MLB, they select the best manager of the year. And that's both for the American League and the National League. And they do more than that. There's also a couple other awards they do. They do the Cy Young Award. They also do the Most Valuable Player Award. Kind of give you a quick rundown of how the whole BBWAA election process works. There are 30 sports journalists. And what happens is they select one for each MLB team, each market. Each That person gets a vote at the end of each regular MLB season for the best in both the American League and the National League for the following. Cy Young Award, Most Valuable Player, Rookie of the Year, and Manager of the Year. And again, these are awards that are voted on at the end of the regular season. So why Brandon and I and you may have all sat down and watched the postseason and found some very exciting people that we thought maybe should have won these awards, they were not actually eligible. And those awards, while they go ahead and say, hey, guys, guess what? We now have them at the end of the baseball season. We're going to wait till you got the postseason done, and then we'll give them to you a week later. Oh, great, great. I'm sorry. We're just going to announce them a week later. What do you mean announce them? We're going to announce the nominees. Oh, okay. And then we're going to go string it out over, oh, about uh, maybe four days. What do, what, do you, what, do you, what do you mean you're going to stretch out over four days? Well, what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and the Jackie Robinson Rookie of the Year Award, we're actually going to announce that on Monday, November 9th. The Manager of the Year Award, we're going to announce on Tuesday, November 10th. And then the Cy Young Award, we'll do on Wednesday, November 11th. And Thursday, November 12th, we will announce the Most Valuable Player. Hey, how's that for you guys? Well, you know, I, I love this, Brandon. I mean, these guys are going to make sure they milk the most out of this, right? Yeah, I mean, they got if you got all the attention, I guess, drag it out, even though you can really do it and maybe a half hour or 45 minutes worth of TV time. <laughs> I suppose so. So we're going to milk it too, <laughs> but nothing like that. Anyway, we're going to sit here and do like a three hour show just talking about the awards. I, I think so. I think we should probably continue on all the way through Thursday, November 12th with a live streaming feed right here. But in deference to our audience's requests for some sanity, we will rein it in just a little bit. So we will go ahead and announce who 
those nominees are. And run down kind of quickly here, Jackie Robinson, Rookie of the Year Award. They have uh, National League looking at Alec Baum from the Phillies, Jake Cronenworth and from San Diego, Devin Williams from Milwaukee. And as far as the AL finalists for the Jackie Robinson uh, Rookie of the Year, we've got Christian Javier from Houston, Kyle Lewis from Seattle, Luis Robert, okay, Luis, Luis Robert, uh, our Robert from the Chicago White Sox. Then I'm going to stop here for a moment because getting the manager of the year. And this, we were having a little chat earlier before the show today, Brandon, because uh, of the AL finalists, we got Kevin Cash, Charlie Montoyo, and then Rick Renteria. What's unique about Rick Renneria? Okay, we're, we're stopping here. Brandon, give me an update. What what has happened with our good friend, who is the coach, or was the coach, of the Chicago White Sox and the nominee for the AL Finalist Manager of the Year? Well, honestly, I think he should win an award anyways for Most Awkward Moment of the Year award. While he is now a finalist for Manager of the Year, a few weeks ago he was told, you're fired and released by the White Sox. And I thought it was great the other day when they announced all the finalists that the White Sox put a congratulatory tweet out there to Rick Renteria for being AL Manager of the Year finalist, even though they fired him just a few weeks ago. Have you heard, I mean, I've listened to a couple things about why Rick was fired. I've heard maybe like he's not like analytically inclined. I don't really get that, especially with the, the hire they made about a week ago. <laughs> But, you know, maybe sometimes he didn't really, like, maybe he let the players go too far, you know, like he didn't reel them in enough, maybe something like that. But I, I don't know why you would fire him, to be honest. I don't follow the White Sox closely. If anybody out there is a White Sox fan, let us know. But well, it seemed like he was doing a really good job. I, I know. See, that's what kills me, too. And it's funny because I was reading one report. But saying, well, this guy, they should fire him. He's, he's taking on a La Russian perspective on batting. I said, wait a minute, La, La, La Russian? Are we talking about the guy who's now the new manager for the team? This was written before that happened. So if you're blaming his style on La Russa's style, if you're saying that Renteria actually took that style, then guess what, boys and girls? You missed it. You missed it a lot. And you're right, Brandon, when you talk about what he'd achieve. Okay, a couple of things. He took Chicago Cubs, okay? He took them on in 2014 as their manager. And in the previous year, the Chicago Cubs had only had 66 wins. Uh, In 2013, had only 66 wins. Now, Rick comes in and becomes the manager for the Chicago Cubs. And that first year and only year that he was a manager for the Chicago Cubs, he had 73 wins. So was increase, okay? He's still below the halfway mark. We're talking, you know, batting average of 451 or winning average of 451 here. Madden came in after that. And I don't really have much on Renneria for the next couple of years. And he, he pops up in 2017 as the White Sox manager. The next three years don't look good. I mean, 2017, his win-loss record was 67 to 95. Next year got better, got 62-100. 2019, he's up to 72 wins, 89 losses. He's at 447. 2020, 35 wins, 25 losses, 
and an average of 583, and and he goes postseason. Time to fire the guy, if you ask me. Yeah, it, it makes no sense. It's one thing if this is like a few years down the road and they feel they need to make a change to get over the hump. But the, his first few years there, that's when they were really bad. They hadn't brought up all their, their young prospects yet because they were still either not drafted or in the lower lower levels. And then when you actually get the guys up here and they're really starting to develop or already really far along in their development and you find success, why would you fire the guy? I mean, I mean, I don't get it. There has to be something to it that we're missing. I, I can only wonder. I mean, I've, one of the things I did read about Rick was there was some questions about how he does his lineup. And from what I heard, it sounds kind of reminded me of some other people, you know, they were saying also about how he did his bullpen. I said, yeah, hmm, who else is it we know who's made decisions about pull, pulling a pitcher or having more in the bullpen and gotten a lot of criticism? You know, I, if if Rick had won more than one game in the postseason, so in a three, you know, best of three, they wound up losing the, two, the, the second and third game. If he had done better than that, I don't think we'd be even talking about him here. We all thought that the White Sox could be like a dark horse to do some damage in the playoffs, and then the whole AL Central went out just like that, and maybe that was just the, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back, or or just like a convenient excuse to let him go. I think so. I think the decision was probably made at the beginning of the year, but anyway, we wish him well. So, manager of the year, he is actually one of the finalists. We'll see what happens. Go quick run down the rest of them. The National League finalist for manager of the year was Don Mattingly of Miami, David Ross for Chicago Cubs, Jace Tingler, I know one of your favorites with the San Diego Padres. Cy Young, we're looking at uh, finalists for the what the National League, Trevor Barr of Cincinnati, U Darvish, Chicago Cubs, Jacob DeGrom, New York Mets, which I really enjoyed watching those guys this year. The AL finalist for the Cy Young, Shane Bieber. Kenta Maeda and Ryu from Toronto. And my gosh, I loved watching Maeda and, um, and watching some of the twins this year and certainly watching Ryu from Toronto, even though I hated being up against him. Uh, the MVP, this is going to be the fun one too. The American League finalists are Jose Abreu from the White Sox, DJ LeMahieu from the Yankees, Jose Ramirez from Cleveland, and the national finalists, boom. Freddie Freeman. Oh, yeah, Atlanta. Manny Machado from San Diego. And then the one, I think, if it was only going to be one most valuable player, the NL finalist, Mr. Mookie Betts. Yeah, the NL, the NL MVP, I'm, I'm really excited to see who wins it because that's one where it's like really anybody can get it and there's like no issue. I, th- I think you're absolutely right there. But, but like we said earlier, these decisions have been made long ago. And the polls have been in, but so, and I guess they're still being tallied. All thirty of those. It must take a while. Yeah, we're we're, st- we're still going over here, still waiting. <laughs> so we'll we'll be seeing we'll be hearing the first of those like I said Monday, November 9th. So I'm excited about that. But just like an election, too, you know, there's there's rules, regulations, and amendments on the ballot. You and I were looking at this earlier this year because there were proposed and accepted rules and regulations for the 2020 season. You know, the commissioner, I don't know if he's making the president, but maybe he's all legislature, the, the commissioner, Rob Manfred, and also Tony Clark with the Players Association, sat down 
and trying to come up with something that made sense. And you and I had a lot of questions about this before it first began. And some of those amendments or rules or regulations that came with the 2020 season because of our good friend, Mr. COVID. I mean, we, you and I had some serious doubts about the season ever beginning, but we also had some serious doubts and discussions about some of these rules. And I wanted to hit just a few of them. You know, one of the first ones I, I was really interested in see was the DH. Yeah, the DH was something I was excited to see as well. And honestly, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it would, you know, made the game more even and, you know, taking the, the bat out of the pitcher's hand, which honestly I'm excited for because some of those guys shouldn't be on, shouldn't be up to bat because they, they just, they can't swing, they can't hit. It's like an automatic out. And I know some people are like, oh, the tradition of it, or why can't the pitcher practice it hitting more? Like that's not his job. You pay him to be the pitcher. That's his should be his primary concern, not going up to the plate and trying to help himself out. As much as we demand of these pitchers today, and we look at often trying to look at a five player or five day rotation, five game rotation with these young men, you look at how many of them become injured from the ferocity of how they throw. I don't see any reason for putting any kind of other physical demands on them than we already have. And plus another interesting like wrinkle to it is a team like Atlanta, for example, really benefited from it because Marcelo Zuna, who they signed to just like a one-year deal, he wouldn't be able to play very much because they have a full outfield, but they can throw him in there as a DH. And plus he's a much better hitter than he is fielder. He really helped propel that offense. I mean, he hit... 18 homers, 56 RBIs, and hit over 300. And now, because the DH is going away next year, unless they do some weird rule again, they're going to let them have to let them walk because there won't be a spot for them. And that's a good point. And it's insane. I mean, to do that, as far as I'm concerned, National League, wake up, okay? Having a designated hitter for your pitcher is one of the smartest things you can do for the healthier pitcher and gives you a little bit more, you know, at, at, the, at the plate, too. And as long as we're talking about somebody being up at the plate, why don't we address the three batter rule? The, the three batter rule, it's honestly, I don't really care for it either way. I won't, it didn't impact the game to me enough to where I can definitely say, oh, this is, this should be taken away or this shouldn't be. And well, and a lot of that, I mean, the simple part about the three batter rule, I didn't explain it very well, is that what that means for those of you who haven't watched baseball all the time is that when you bring a pitcher into the game and you're bringing in a righty to face a righty or a left pitcher, left handed pitcher for a left handed batter, you can't just go ahead and make these interchangeable parts in and out, in and out. You bring a guy in, what this says is, that pitcher must pitch to at least three batters, which gives a, I mean, we were watching during the series anyway, you would see uh, a left-handed batter coming in and they'd put a left-handed pitcher in and then they'd make another substitution with the batter. It's like, oh, come on, please. But it, it does get a little insane. And maybe some people say it drags out the game a little bit when, when you're allowing that kind of a uh, flexibility, but yeah, I guess it's it's probably not a bad rule, 
but I wasn't excited about it either because teams like the Rays and some others were very, very, very dependent upon being able to bring in some specialized pitchers to face some of the best batters in a lineup. Yeah, and I actually have an interesting stat on how it affected or affected the time of the game. I can give you in a second, but I I did like that it kind of took away the you know, the one and done pitchers, because that honestly did get annoying to me where you just bring a guy in, maybe throw like one pitch and then it's like, okay, hard earned day. I'll call it a day. That kind of got annoying to me. So that was nice to see. And like the strategy wise, I know some people were, you know, a little worried about that, you know, like what about the strategy or lefty, 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 or righty, righty specialist or whatever it's called. And Honestly, I think that brought in a new strategy to where you have to think a bit bigger picture to who you feel more comfortable bringing in. I don't know, a guy to take on either two lefties and a righty or two righties and a lefty or any combination. So I really thought it brought in a new wrinkle of strategy. And they said it was supposed to speed up games. And looking over the last three years of just the time of nine inning games, in 2018, it was about three hours flat. 2019, three hours and five minutes. In 2020, according to this, it actually didn't speed up games because the average time was about three hours and seven minutes. So it really didn't have an effect. If anything, it slowed it down. <laughs> oh, gosh. I'm, well, see, and that's the craziness of it. To me, there's a lot of other ways to pick up the time of the game if that's what's important to you. I don't like sitting through four and a half, five, six hours of a game. That that much I'll tell you right now. It happens. In some ways, those are exciting. Usually, I mean, it's going to be extra innings. Sometimes it's because you're sitting in the middle of a rain delay. Actually, that's not that's not always the time that's contributed to the game. But it's I, I like you. I, I haven't seen it really make a difference. The three batter rule make a difference. Yeah, I mean, there are other ways you can do things to speed up the games. I mean, we could do like a whole show on that. I'm sure. It's it's something I do want. It's, it's, <laughs> it, it, it's something I want to talk about, not today, but I think we need to look at is these changes, how that affects player development. Because if you already had a strategy in mind about players that you're bringing up, and the rules change about how you can use them, <laughs> it, it, it makes it very difficult for a team to have a, good, a strategy along with, I should say, with a little more of a long range plan if if they keep changing the rules. Yeah, and, and that's something I didn't think of, you know, guys in the minors that could have like a specific specialty like going up against lefties. But, I mean, hey, that's part of the new wrinkle of strategy it threw in there. Well, there you go, brother. Okay, so let's talk about some more 2020 rules and regulations that came in. And one of those is the seven-inning doubleheader. Yeah, the seven-inning doubleheader, that's something I think it should just be chalked up to, you know, it's a 2020 thing, you know, it's what we needed to do to get through the year. And honestly, does it really make sense to have games throughout the regular season count the same, but be like, like it's regulation is a different length than a, than all the other games. To me, it just doesn't really make sense to have in a normal season. Yeah, I mean, if you think there's actually teams that you see perform well up through a certain amount of innings and then they fall off, 
take for instance, if you had Blake Snell, <laughs> you've got him, you got him up there for what? You got him up for five innings, five and a third. Are you going to go ahead and run him another one and two thirds innings to complete a seven inning game? You know, I mean, hey, our, your bullpen certainly stays fresher. And that's actually part of the case of it, is trying to keep a fresh bullpen when you're looking at two games on top of another, one another. And one of the things that they wanted to do, or at least were trying to do, was let's not play two games on any single day. You know, I mean, because what they wanted to do is they didn't want to schedule doubleheaders because they knew what would happen. They said, well, that's going to limit our ability to reschedule, postpone games, so that the, I guess the only double headers that they wanted during the 2020 COVID season were ones that were going to be able to, one, protect the health of the players. And, you know, they're, they, got to, they knew they were going to run into some speed bumps, and they certainly did in the beginning with the Cardinals and also, of course, with Miami. But because of not having scheduled double headers, when they did need them, it wasn't going to be there weren't going to be doubling up on other scheduled doubleheaders. And, and it has its pros, you know, like you said, it'll, it'll save bullpen arms. You don't have to throw a whole bunch of guys out there. It, it, that is a good pro that, you know, comes from playing a shorter game. Another interesting part of, of uh, these rules for 2020, Brandon, was the suspended games, which – I thought it was interesting. I mean, in the past, if you started a game and you didn't get past the fifth inning, guess what? Basically, that game didn't happen. You know, the, you go on and you have another game and you fill it out somewhere else. But because of COVID, they wanted to be able to move games along so that if you went through the third inning, my understanding was that you picked up that game later on and you started in the fourth inning. You know those games that start to get rained out before the fifth inning. You won't be seeing any of those this year. Any game that starts but then halted by weather will be considered suspended games, meaning they will be resumed at the point where they were stopped. Purpose of this rule is to avoid long weather delays in an era which health officials advise having players together at the ballpark for as little time as possible. By the way, this part I'm reading to you right now is uh, a part something written by Jason Stark back in June 23rd, 2020. I think he articulates quite well what a suspended game is. I, I like that it, you know, it's not going to have those marathon games like I was talking about earlier, how it, you know, has a potential, you know, speed it up because honestly, I've been through not, not at baseball because, you know, we can't have a weather delayed game here. We can have a power outage, but we can't have a weather delay. Sitting through a weather delay isn't fun at all and honestly it really like takes the fun out of it for everybody and if it like it'll help speed it up then i'm for it okay you know and that's that's fine i understand that about suspended games and like i said i agree with you on that but was also interesting with mr stark in his article he was talking about again this was before the 2020 season actually began in his article from uh, june 23rd and he was talking about extra innings. He says, in an experiment fueled by health and safety concern, all extra innings will now begin with a runner on second base until one team wins. And that's interesting because this is something they had been trying out in the minors the last few years. And I, was, I wasn't I was completely surprised. I was almost been wondering if and when they would actually bring this to the majors. 
And there's no better time than during this dreadful time during COVID to, to go ahead and make sure there's some change, implement something new. Yeah, this is one of those things that we've said a million times throughout the past few months is you could just say, hey, it's 2020, let's throw it out there, see if it works. And for the most part, for me, I, I did like this. I don't, I don't think it's perfect. I think it could use some adjusting. And if, if they don't adjust and they keep it this way, I'd be fine with it. But I'd like to see maybe, you know, like the 10th inning is a normal inning, just like any of the others. And then you maybe start the runner at second in the 11th inning, or you maybe start them at first, the first few innings, and then move them to second. Kind of, to me, it seems like it's just maybe too easy to score, especially as like offensively gifted as some of these guys are nowadays. And, you know, it's, it does speed the game up because we don't have these marathon games. And I saw the stat through the first 16 extra inning games this, this season, nine of them ended after 10 innings and five of them ended after 11 innings. So it did work in, you know, sort of going away from the, those extra long marathon games. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, there's been times I've, I've been through a 15 inning game and it can be, you know, at the stadium, it can be a bit much. At the time I was working, I had to stand the whole time too. So that was kind of fun. And it was interesting though, that role to I me mean, again, the era of COVID, they had that during the quote regular season for those 60 games, but it was not a rule that they had in place for the postseason, which I thought was smart. Okay, then what else are we talking about? You and I, before the show started, what did, the expanded playoffs we had this year was completely insane, but I loved every minute of it. I mean, like you and I said something, it's like the NCAA brackets, you know, during basketball, March Madness. Oh my gosh, you know, absolutely crazy, but it was one of the most ex- exciting times we've, you know, I've had watching baseball. Yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed it, you know, having baseball on all day the first couple of rounds. And, you know, it, it was a good idea to have for this shortened year. And it was really enjoyable. But I've said it a, a ton of times, both here and on Twitter, is that I, I don't think they should expand the playoffs past what it is before normal times. Because honestly, I think it's almost perfect to where if they were make, to make the wild card they bested three like they did this year. I think that would be as close to perfect as you could possibly get for the playoffs. And I know they're not going to expand it to 16. Manfred said that, but even to 14 teams, you, some years you're going to have teams that don't deserve to be in there. They're going to be like right at 500. And, you know, I know that that's a reality. That'll happen sometimes. It, it just happens, especially in other sports like the NBA and NH, NHL. But making the playoffs, it, it should be hard. And the way baseball has it now is it's it's hard to make it, and that's the way it should be. Yeah, because, you know, you're talking about how you do the playoffs. And while I was excited about it, I've had a lot of friends tell me, said, you know what, Mark, I haven't watched baseball since 1993. I said, what the heck are you talking about? I said, well, how the leagues were set up and how the games and such, you didn't see any second-place teams getting in there. You know, you had your divisions. They played one another, and that was it. Okay, I I get that somewhat. But it's a lot more exciting to me as a fan to have something a bit more expanded 
than what they had back in 1993. And some people were upset once the wild card was implemented. Some people were upset when they expanded the wild card more than one game. Okay, I, I get that. You know, you see a team, you say, well, they don't deserve to be up there. The number one team didn't actually make it from that division. Yeah, it's, you know, guess what? Guess what? It's It makes it exciting. It isn't traditional baseball, but it makes it exciting. Yeah, and we're kind of at a time where you got to, you know, break away a little bit from traditional baseball. And, you know, I mean, baseball isn't the most exciting sport most of its time, but especially in the playoffs, we saw it this year, it was it was really exciting. Every game was something that I was looking forward to watching. Well, I, I think that's it. It's, it was exciting for the fans, and during this season, I'm, I'm glad we had it. It expanded more, got us beyond that 60 games. What will it look like for the future? I'm, I'm open to a lot of things. I, I think, like I said, maybe more than what we had before COVID, but maybe not as much as what we did this season. You brought up something, though, I thought was rather interesting. And it's because when we're trying to do everything in the bubble, we found ourselves at a neutral site for the postseason. And tell us a little bit about your your ideas on how the offseason or postseason should be with the neutral site. This is another thing that I think, you know, coming from the genius mind of Rob Manfred, should be thrown in the trash. You know, just like, the, hey, it's 2020. We did it because we had to. This is one of those things. With the World Series and baseball in general, the playoffs gives it a whole nother level that you don't get throughout the regular season. And to take it away in the biggest series from fans and the players, to take it away really seems like it's criminal. And everybody wants to compare it to, well, the Super Bowl does it. To me, Comparing everything to the Super Bowl is a dumb idea because here in America, football is far and above king. It's not even close. Like looking at just TV ratings in general, game six of the World Series this year, it topped it out at about 14.3 viewer, million viewers. And then Sunday Night Football a couple weeks ago between the Eagles and Cowboys, which you may not have watched, but I did. It was a god-awful game. Looking, It was horrible. Two bad teams. I was offended watching it. It had 15.7 million viewers. And that's, that's for a garbage game between two teams that are awful. And people laughed it on Twitter saying it was a horrible game. And just to compare the two so much, like, oh, we, we want to be the Super Bowl. Well, you can, you know, strive to be the best you can, but you can't be the Super Bowl. It's nobody can. Not even the NBA gets close to the Super Bowl's ratings. Well, okay, yeah. So we're we're looking at all the amendments and regulations and rules for 2020 brought about by Manfred and Tony Clark for this season. And the voting and the tally has been done on that now. And you've heard Brandon's and my thoughts about what those are and how we should proceed with them. So one of the things you all can do is make sure that you – Go ahead and let MLB know. Make sure you go on Twitter, go on Facebook, and let them know how you feel about it. I want to thank you all today for joining us today on Baseball Biz. Brandon and I have really enjoyed putting together this show for you today. We'll be putting something together every Thursday. Look for us online, and you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and any other reputable and disreputable 
site that may actually carry podcasts, we're there. Brandon, I want to thank you again, buddy, for once again bringing your knowledge and sharing your insights with everyone about the baseball. Well, thanks for letting me come on and ramble yet again. Oh, man, well, that's what we do. <laughs> and we're rocking. So thank you, everybody. We appreciate again joining us here on Baseball Biz. You can find us on Twitter at The Baseball Biz. And you can also find Brandon at The Sports Blitz One. Again, thank you all. And Brandon, I look forward to talking with you again real soon. <laughs>